The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pop Insider. The Pop Insider has all the latest in news. Produced with podcasting gear from Tascam, including the Tascam Mini Studio. Trust your audio to Tascam. Sound thinking. Microphones and headphones provided by CAD Audio. CAD Audio, expression through innovation. Crisis for the geek kind. Top geek officials admit they underestimated the hipster's defense capability. Geeks from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. They're doing their part. Are you? Join Weeby Geeks and the Geek Revolution and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Want to know more? Do not attempt to adjust your device. This is a stream freedom audio bulletin. It cannot be traced. It cannot be stopped. And it is the only free voice left in the geek revolution. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Weeby Geeks, as I'm trying to keep my tone down so I don't interrupt my wife in the other room who's listening to the TV on headphones. I can still get too loud. Uh, you're, you've got the dashing duo, Derek and myself, Mike, and we have with us um, a legend in his own right, kid, former kid actor, maybe still acts like a kid now, we'll find out, uh, but has been in some of our, at least some of my favorite movies. I can't speak for Derek, um, but I, I'm sure Derek will agree. And that person we have on the line with us is Scott Schwartz. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. Surviving. Mike's got my uh, Darth Vader behind him. I got one of those, too. Oh, Derek, yeah. Derek, excuse me. Love watching the Darth oh, Vader. big one, yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, um, let's talk a little bit about, I guess, the first movie that you were the most known for before. For a long time. Before the infamous one. <laughs> uh, the one that I, it's got one of my favorite lines in it, and that is uh, when they refer to you as Master Bates. And that would be the toy. Yes. Um, how did that come about? And what? Well, I'll start off with that question first before we, we go down the, the road that's going to be a fun road with the toy. No, yeah, uh, you know, just uh, auditions. You know, I mean, I had already done over 100 commercials, Broadway, off-Broadway, all those things. And I started going out on movie roles. And, uh, you know, this one came up and it was eight auditions and a screen test and they book you for the movie. So when you get on set and you find out you're going to be Jackie Gleason's son and you're going to be, have a nanny who's Richard Pryor as a kid, what was that like? I could, I could well, only, I, knew, I could only imagine. But. Well, I knew who was in the film before I got there. You know, I mean, they, you know, Jackie Gleason, Richard Pryor, Richard Donner, Ray Stark. I mean, you know, so all these big names. So I, you know, I knew who was involved um, but I was a fan of theirs. I mean, I knew Richard's work. I knew Gleason's work. I knew Ned Beatty's work, you know, so it, uh, it kind of puts you at, at ease. I mean, I met Richard before we started shooting. I met Gleason just before we started shooting like a day or two before. And, um, they made it great for me because I tried, I shouldn't even say I tried. I was just me. I was a fan of theirs, you know, and they say imitation is the highest form of flattery. 
and I did imitations of both of them. So <laughs> it was they, you know, they looked at me. They didn't quite look at me as the little kid, whatever. It was hey. This guy knows who we are. Okay, this is this is cool. This is going to be fun. Did you get in trouble on the set because of those two? That would have been impossible <laughs> because there's no such thing as PC political correctness in 1982 with Jackie Gleason and Richard Pryor. Well, that, true. That, there's, there's, I would, nothing. would think no. Yeah, no, there, there was no such thing. You know, I mean, Pryor said stuff to me. He could go to jail now for saying that stuff to a kid. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying on the political correctness scale, um, Gleason would sit, you know, and smoke his palm all sitting next to me. <laughs> he'd be, and I mean, or he'd have me sitting on his lap sometimes. He used me as a human shield. We kind of figured this out along the way. People would come up to him and talk to him. And he really want to talk to people. He really didn't want to. So he'd be like, kid, come here. And he'd come and he'd sit me on his lap and he'd be like, how you doing? I'd be like, okay, everything going all right today? Yeah, everything's been great. Next thing you know, he starts smoking. And I'm, I'm this far from his face. You know, he can't do that stuff today. <laughs> well, I, I guess what I meant by getting in trouble is like pranks, um, crazy antics, stuff like that. Not anything that, that's PC stuff or would be considered no, PC today. No, not really. I mean, you know, it was it's a job, you know, and you're working. Um, yeah, you can make it fun and joke and kid around and all that stuff. But there really wasn't anything that was outrageous, you know, other than Richard sending girls to my trailer during lunch, you know. <laughs> Okay. And he even he, he, he even set it up um, when they the beginnings of the party scene when people are getting out of the limos and all that stuff. So the girl that gets out of the limousine with Gleason was a very beautiful woman. Well, he made sure that her trailer was back to back with mine. So her back window, <laughs> my back window are right neck and neck. And, you know, <laughs> actresses are, you know, known they're just kind of free and not quite as, as um, we'll say stingy, so to speak, in the closing the drapes department. Education so, on set. Oh, completely. Ah, yes. You know, she's got to change her clothes and, you know, her window's three feet from mine. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and how, how old were you exactly at this time? 14. Oh, prime age right there. Well, yeah. <laughs> listen, your, 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 your question about, you know, getting in trouble, I was pre-puberty. So I really didn't get any trouble. If I had been post-puberty, we'd have been in a whole different situation altogether. <laughs> <laughs> so 82, 14. Okay, uh, we're we're all around the same age age group. Yeah, I'm 52. I I I'll turn 50 in August. So cool. Well, well I'm only 46. So uh, well, still same time period. I mean, but you're almost you're almost yes. there. When you actually get the AARP card, then you're in a different club. I I've been getting them since I was 35. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which how I'm I don't waiting know, but... for mine to come in. I was okay turning 50. I felt pretty good about it, you know, whatever. And then I got the thing from AARP, and then I was pissed. <laughs> The AAR, like I said, ARP, AARP stuff, I was getting at like 30, 35. I'm like, um, hello. Who? Not yet. I, I'm still a little early for this. Um, but hey, if they want to give it to me and it works, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll give it a shot. Um, so working with Donner, uh, there was, if I remember right, y'all had a slight tribute to Superman in the film. It's sort of uh, the scene where we're in the toy room and we kind of go into this little cave area or whatever. And I come over to the camera and I reached under the camera and Dick is sitting there and he's got a Superman monster book and he hands it to me and I kind of put it up and I opened it up. And of course, it's Superman. So that was the oh, very super cool. Meeting. Okay. What were what were some of your favorite moments with Richard since you spent a good chunk of the movie with him? 
oh god, playing video games four or five nights a week in his apartment or his his uh, hotel room. Um, oh, nice. We all had we all had Mattel and television that were sent to, to us. The the console. Ah, oh wow. I they, had that. They, yeah. they were making their big push, and they had put the sign in the toy store, kind of behind. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ed Beatty and Mattel and television. You just kind of saw it. So they were sending us games every week. So Richard would call me and say, "You got to come over to my room. I got a new game. You got to come on over here." I come over. I said, "What's going on?" Oh, you know, I got uh, Burger Time, or I got, <laughs> Frog, or you know. So I mean, loved hanging Burger out time. with them, going to going to the movies, uh, amusement parks, you know, bumper cars, and all that kind of stuff. We we had a blast. Now I had heard somewhere that you consider him uh, like a real big mentor to you for your career. Oh. That's that's sort of a, a uh, understatement. A tremendous understatement. How's that? He mm. was more like mm. my friend, my muse, my mentor. You know, from the time I met him until the time he was gone, and his words still are a part of me. You know, he taught me a ton of things about life and and me movies and acting and timing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, but it was more the life lessons that I learned from from him that you know I still to this day. You know, I, I, I can hear his voice in my head. You know, he was just from the day I met him, you know, uh, we were fast friends, which is strange because I'm a white Jewish kid, middle class, you know, lower middle class from New Jersey. And he grew up in a whorehouse in Peoria, Illinois, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so where do you find that middle ground? Well, you find that middle ground in the things that you like and the things that you love. Right. And a lot of similar likes and loves. Um but I was very inquisitive and not, and I was knowledgeable as far as movies, entertainment, vintage, you know, entertainment, uh, Hollywood. And uh, he was more the life lessons guy, you know. And when somebody says to you, hey, listen, you have every phone number I have. When you have a question, just call me. Oh, that's awesome. That's, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, and all the times that I called him, there was never, hey, I don't have time for you. That just never happened, you know. It was, hey, what's going on? Talk to me. What's going on? That, you know. So I, I kind of want to touch on, on this project that you're involved with early before we hit the rest. Um, and I want, I'm curious, what, was Richard part of the inspiration for you uh, helping start a minor consideration? I didn't start a minor consideration. It was started by Paul Peterson, who was on okay. the Donna Reed show. Okay. And he had a friend of his uh, in the 80s who went through a really, really lot of hard times and, and passed away. And it was mm. predominantly because the guy had nobody to talk to. He didn't have any of his peers. He didn't have any, you know, organized group of people um, to talk to. And that's really why Paul started it, you know, for people in the entertainment industry, especially youngsters, you know, to have somebody if they got a problem, if they got this, you know, whatever's going on, whether it's drugs, alcohol, you know, being lonely, depression, whatever it was. And that's that's how Paul started it. And, uh, you know, he ran it basically himself for years from like 88 on. And then a group of people kind of joined him. And then it was a few more. And the next thing you know, you know, got his 501c3, you know, and uh, he wanted somebody, f you know, to be a mouthpiece because he was getting up in age and, you know, can't do everything. And he chose me. And uh, I mean, it took a little it, it took a little while for me to say yes. Um, I didn't really know Paul. And it was one of those things where I just heard things, you know, but I didn't know for sure. And as I got to know Paul, I was like, OK, you know, um, we, we did a radio show together 
for almost two hours and it just changed my opinion of him, changed everything. And, you know, that was kind of like our defining moment of, okay, I want you to do this. And I went, okay. And I was the president for two years. You can only serve two years in a 501c3. Okay. I'm assuming you're still active with the organization. If somebody calls me and needs something, you know, there's, there's reasons why I don't talk to some of those people, just personal reasons between us, you know. But that doesn't mean if somebody doesn't reach out to me and says, hey, I need help, I'm not going to help them. Of course I would. Okay. Um, I guess get back to the toy. Uh, toy was shot where? East Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> I, I know Baton Rouge a little bit. I used to live in Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah. So yeah, we shot there. And, I mean, it's beautiful country. Yeah, you know, it is. Really great people, you know. I mean, I, I have made friends with a couple people that I'm still friends with, you know, uh, that are not actors or performers in the film. Uh, but then, like, the kid that was my understudy or kind of my stand-in for the whole film, he's the one at the very end that shoots Richard with the dart in the head, and that's the end of the movie. Um, he became a, a teacher, and he teaches down there, and he went to LSU, and, you know, he's doing real well for himself, and, you know, great guy, and we still chit-chat. He's my little bro. Very cool. Very yeah, cool. That is, yeah. And if you're, if you're into wrestling at all, or like vintage oh, wrestling, yes, mm-hmm. Rockin' Robin, if you remember from the 80s. Yeah. Okay. Oh. As a kid, as a kid, she was an extra in the toy. No way. Really? Yep. Yes. We, we I mean, the time of shooting, you know, I was a kid running around doing whatever, and she was just an extra. And then years later, uh, I was hanging out with a lot of people from WWF. And she was there and she came over to me and she's like, hi, I'm Robin. I said, it's nice to meet you. You know, I see you. What you do, you know, she's like, well, that's not important. I was an extra in the toy (laughs) and her and I are still very good friends. And she lives uh, just outside of Baton Rouge. Okay, awesome. But like some of the cops, the cops, you know, the scene in the police, you know, and all that. Uh, there were a few of them who were actually the security for Richard during the filming. They had the real sheriffs from East Baton Rouge help out. And um, Hmm. those guys I'm still friends with, and they're still down there. Wow. James Sheldon and Dale. Those are my three boys, and those are my three guys. They'll be my three guys forever. You know, (laughs) I've met met up with uh, uh, James, and I've met up with with, uh, Dale. You know, I've gone down there a couple times, and Sheldon just hasn't been around. So, you know, but Dale's on my Facebook, and... He's my boy. Love him to death. Very cool. Very cool. Now, yeah, it's really it's really cool to hear things like that. The 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 scene where you see Richard for the first time what, what, mm-hmm. was that a difficult scene to shoot, or was it just taking different different takes just to just because it's Richard and you just don't know which one of the various takes could end up being no the no, it you're, just, you're kind of doing the, you're trying to do the same thing on every one of your takes, but I mean the the uh, the hardest part about most of that was we were shooting in a department store in a, uh, called Dillard's, and they were open. So during the day, we couldn't shoot. So we had to do night shooting in the store. Uh. So our call time wasn't until 6 p.m., and then you go into makeup and hair, and then basically the store closes at 7 or 8, whatever time it was that it closed. And within a half an hour, the boys were bringing everything in, and we would get shooting. Oh, yeah. So I think it was I think it was just a couple of nights in there. It wasn't really a long, long scene. The hardest thing was the wonder wheel and getting that whole thing to work right and, you know, do all that. You know. Yeah. It's funny. I think I don't think a lot of people realize things like that about making movies and such. You know, sometimes you gotta work around certain schedules or things like that. Oh sure. Yeah, especially when you're shooting in public places. 
Mm. You know, um, I don't think there was really any. Um, the scene on the street where you first see me when I pull up to what's supposed to be the store, which really wasn't, of course. Um, but we shot that, you know, at night. You know, when you see me in the limo, it's nighttime. Yeah. You know, because they couldn't, they didn't, they just, they didn't want to shoot during the day and shut down a main drag, you know. Right. They just didn't want to do it. So we just did it at night. It was fine. I think one of my favorite scenes, I mean, favorite lines came from around the, the toy store where you're introduced as Master Bates and Richard just pretty much loses it, which I, I loved. Um, but one of my favorite scenes is the dinner scene after you and Richard decide you're going to start the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And you're at the table and you've got uh, Teresa Ganzel as Fancy. And you're talking about how you, you, you guys bring up the question about how they met. Mm-hmm. And she talks about her propellers. Pl- yes. And the plastic the surgery. Propellers. Yes. Um, how how hard was it to do that scene with a straight face and, and be so innocent at, at, at the well, end? With it's your- impossible. It was impossible. Now, you, it's one of your favorites and it's one of my least favorites because <laughs> just from the final product, not the filming itself just the final product you see when you sit there for four hours at that table and you have nothing but gleason and Pryor having fun about teresa's boobs and you know i'm i'm 13 going on 14 it was somewhere right around my birthday and you know what boobs are and they're making fun well at one point okay so i'm sitting this way richard's sitting in front of me gleason is this way teresa is this way okay at one point, Gleason goes, um, honey, your left is more than your right. And I'm, and I'm kind of getting to hear of this. Your left, is, your left is more than your right. She's like, what? He's like, honey, your left is more than your right. And she's like, what? So I looked at her and her left boob had fallen out of the dress. <laughs> Gleason goes, honey, your left is more than your right. She looks down. She goes, oh, excuse me. You know, she puts it away. You know. <laughs> Well, there was no way, there's no way on God's green earth that I was going to keep a straight face when I'm supposed to. So the line is, you know, Nancy, what did your boobs look like before? This was supposed to be a close-up and whatever. Okay. I couldn't do it. There's no way. I'm cracking up. And I've got Richard sitting across from me making motions with his hands and he's going like this. Forget it. So they end up doing an over-the-shoulder, just half my face. I look at her and even to the it, – it bugs the living hell out of me. That scene because they're just doing half my face and I go, fancy, what did your boobs look like before? And I'm smiling. I couldn't do it with a straight face. I don't care if they had put a nail through my hands and feet. It wouldn't have mattered because they had me rip, roar and riot for four hours of that. Uh, not surprising though. So you had some real fun, fun moments. Richard was a free spirit. Okay. And Mm. there was no filter on this man. You know, thank God, you know, my, my parents didn't bring me up in a household. You have to watch your mouth and your tongue and all that stuff. That, That wasn't the house I grew up in. They're like, just don't do anything stupid. Don't hurt anybody. You know, don't be mean to anybody. Don't hurt anybody. You know, so Richard would open up his mouth and every word in the English language would come out and I'd heard everything. OK, fine. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm in an adult world. I did Broadway with adults. I did, you know, work with adults. And uh, Richard and I would be sitting next to each other on the set and he'd be reading a book or underlining or whatever, you know, and then he'd take a break and go, uh, Scott, come here, come here. And I'd lean over. I'd be like, what's up? He goes, you see the brunette over there? She came to my room last night. And I'd be like, OK, cool. 
And they say, yeah, and she gave me and she did it and whatever. And I go, oh, that sounds nice. I didn't have a, I didn't have a clue what the hell he was talking about. I'm a, I'm a virgin. I'm pre-puberty, man. I knew nothing. And I would just go, that sounds good. That sounds great. You know, this was Richard. I got the education of a lifetime. Oh. <laughs> in many, many ways, I'm jealous. I, I would have loved to have been in yeah, his presence like, for 15 minutes. He, he just seems listen, like. You're, you're not the only one. I've had some of the comedians of today in the last 10 years, 15 years that didn't get to know him, didn't get to meet him, you know, none of that stuff. And they just want to. They they need to talk to me because they want to ask me about him. What was he like? What did he say? What did he do? How did he explain things? You know, no. and, um, sure. You know, yeah. it's, uh, you know it, it, it's one of those things where I mean, I I worked with him and then ended up moving to California and I worked at the comedy store. You know, between um, uh, the end of eighty eight through the middle of ninety. Okay, so I'm working or I'm I'm there working with. Jim Carrey, Yakov Smirnoff, Sam Nissen, Andrew Dice uh, Clay, Roger mm. Bear, Joe Napoti, Finus Henderson, you know, and on and on. And it was just every day I saw these guys. And some wow. of them would say, dude, you got to tell me about Richard, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and then he would come in from time to time at that point, you know, um, but not as much as they wanted to because he had MS and it, you know, wasn't great, right. you know, but he could come in and do some stuff and whatever. But, uh, you know, as the years went on, when I, after I finished working there for years, I still would get hit up by guys that would go, oh, my God, you got to tell me, you got to tell me, you know, mm. you know, one of the one of the greatest nights in the history of the comedy store. Um, I tell the story and there are people that have said to me, oh, you're just making this up. And thank God the guy that worked in the spotlight in the main room is still around. His name is Jay, lives in New Jersey. He's still he found me on Facebook. Thank God. And uh, I was working the main room, working the main room, and Richard was coming in. And one of the girls from the back came over, and she said, "Oh, Richard came here. He, he went in the, the the green room." I said, "Okay." So I told the guy that was working with name, who was working with me, Paul. I said, "Hey, I got to go in the back for a few minutes." Okay, no problem. I'd seated pretty much everybody. The show had already started, whatever. And I go in the back, and there's Sam Kinison, Robin Williams, Richard Pryor, and Richard Pryor's wife, Jen, and me, the five of us. Oh, no. Chatting for a few minutes. Okay, fine. Now, when you came out of the, the little green room, if you went out, you went straight dead ahead. You go around to the stage or around to the, to the audience. But if you went out, you made a left. That's the back curtain at the comedy store, you know, to the main room right, stage. Right. Goes through the curtain. So Sam goes out, makes a left. Richard – or excuse me, Robin goes out, makes a left. Jen goes out. She goes straight ahead. Richard says to me, what are you doing? I said, I got to go back to work, man. He goes, no, you're not. He grabs me, drags me <laughs> through the stage of the curtain. So now Robin and Sam grab two mics. Richard and I are sitting. There's two little steps at the back of the, the stage. So we're sitting on the back of the stage. Robin and Sam do 25 minutes, and they're, it's a packed house in the main room. And it was hysterical. Sam turns around and hands the mic to Richard. So now Sam Kinison sits next to me, and now it's Robin Williams and Richard Pryor for 25 minutes. Wow. And near 25 minutes, 30 uh. minutes, it was. Now Robin's getting tired. So Robin turns around, and he hands, goes to hand me the mic, and I looked at him, and I go, and exactly what the hell would you like me to do? So he looks at me, he goes, that's your boy. Go get him. Here, go get him. Okay. So Robin and Sam are sitting behind us now, and I walk up, and Richard's kind of looking off to the left, and he turns around, and I'm standing there, and he goes, oh. Oh, you want some of this now? <laughs> well, he, let, he lets loose on me like you can't even believe, you know. 
And of, of course, the first thing is, hey, everybody, do you know who this is? Yes, this is the white boy that bought the black man. <laughs> and he's going and he had a thing like this big and he's a, and he just goes on for like five or six minutes. And I stood there. I didn't say a word, nothing. I just looked at him and he goes, you got nothing to say? Well, then I just, here we go. And I let loose on him. Now you got to realize when you're friends with somebody for that many years, you can pretty much say and do anything, you know. Right. And I mean, right. between him and me, people were crying, laughing. <sighs> and we did like a half an hour and we just kept going. And finally, Richard's like, all right, we had enough. We gave him enough. And and we all kind of just said, thank you. We kind of all bowed and went in the back and we're just like, oh, my God, did I really just do that? <laughs> so Sam, Sam goes, you did great. Robin looks at me and he goes, perfect, fantastic, loved it. <laughs> Richard looks at me. He kissed me on the forehead and he goes, that's my boy. <laughs> you did good. <laughs> Not one picture. There's no cell phone cameras back then. You got nothing, you know, but it was it was phenomenal. Love that. But man. that'll be something you'll never, ever forget. No. Oh, God, no. Why would you? I, I love that I'm story. Just, to be yeah, on the awesome. stage at the main room at the comedy store with Sam Kinison, Robin Williams, and Richard Pryor. Psychotic. What the hell was this kid from Jersey doing up there with these three icons? I have no idea. Mm. I carried my own. I had fun with them, and it was great. Uh, now I wish there was video of it. <sighs> yeah, that's amazing. So, so right, we got done, and I and a few minutes later, I went up to the spotlight. There's a you know staircase that goes up to the booth. <laughs> now I know they got a camera and a VCR and everything in, and I'm going, Jay, please, please tell me you stuck a tape in. I need five seconds. I just need five seconds. Something. And he goes, No, man, there's no blank tapes up here. <laughs> All I got memories. And, and one spot up to back it up. Oh. <laughs> well, oh, you, 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 you have nothing. Now, you have now told that story here on this show, so it's preserved that way as well. So I'm sure many people along the journey will ask me about it. You know, I mean I brought it up a few times here and there, you know, and it's just it's one of those things that you just can't you can't fathom is ever gonna happen, you know, mm-hmm. that you're gonna be yeah. Sort of just brought into that iconic group and you're the fourth wheel, you know, it just it was wild. I mean, I, there were things I did with Andrew Dice Clay and all kinds of other. It's it just not the same. Yeah. Now, you, you go from the toy to um, the Christmas story. Before, Kid goes in the middle. Ah, yes. Kid goes, goes in the in middle. middle. But okay. Yeah. Okay. We can, talk, that, about, we can talk about that after well, the Christmas story. It's okay. Well, according to your IMDb, they've got Kid Co. after Christmas story. Because it's released in the theaters after Christmas Story. Gotcha. Well, let's go to Kid Code then. Because uh, I've heard you say that was one of your favorite films to, to have done. That was my favorite film as far as uh, my responsibility, my performance, what I did, you know, in the film, for the film, all of it. You know, it, it's again, it's one of those things where um, situations sort of dictate what happens and uh, – they we had started sh- we were going to start shooting and it was going to be a 10 week shooting schedule until December 22nd of that of of 82 Columbia Pictures had been telling me listen when the toy comes out we're going to send you here pr- promo promo this promo that go on this show that show all these things and um I had to be out and about and free by December 10th because that was the day the toy was opening in the theaters so that's 12 days before the end of official shooting on Kidco okay so 
we're in we shot it in Tucson, Arizona, and we have the table read, you know, with everybody right. and they all right. and everybody reads and the producers and directors, everybody okay. So we get done and I asked for a short meeting. Now I've done one movie. I shot four months with Pryor and Gleason. Okay. So here we go. Now it's Ron Maxwell, the director, who did Gettysburg later on, be it done the nights, right. the lights went out, Georgia and some other things. Uh, Frankie Blondes and David Niven Jr. were the two producers on the film. They've each got 35 years each of experience. Okay, got the first AD, the second AD, me and my dad. And I said, listen, guys, the shooting schedule doesn't work for me. I got to be out of here December 10th. I got promo to do for the toy. And Frankie Blondes looked at me and he goes, get the bleep out of here. There was a little game room across the hallway. He's like, get out. Go play a video game for a minute. Go play pinball, something. So they tell my dad, listen, if we're going to have a problem with your kid, let's let's replace him now. We'll get rid of him. We'll get somebody else because we can't have issues on the set. And my dad says, listen, he thinks he's Godzilla. He's secretariat right now. Get on his back. He's going to ride you to the finish line. And they're like, no, no, movies take longer to make, not shorter. And my dad's like, you don't understand my kid. You don't know my kid. I'm telling you, just watch. You're going to it'll work out. They thought my father was kidding. So, okay, fine. So they call me back in. I sit down. They go, okay, Scott, you'd like to shorten the shooting schedule. I said, yeah, we have to. Well, what do you want to do first? So now they're calling the 14-year-old's bluff that they don't realize is not really a bluff. So I looked at them and I said, well, honestly, I looked at the shooting schedule and we can shorten it a lot because we're shooting in the barn this day and this day. Why don't we put it the same day? We're shooting in the courtroom here. We're shooting in the courtroom there. Why don't we do Frankie Blonde's jaw just dropped. And Nip just looked at me. And they go, okay. They all left other than myself and the first AD. We sat there for over three hours till past midnight. You know, it was past midnight. I had a 6.15 pickup in the morning to go to set. I'm awake. I'm ready to go. I worked overtime pretty much every day of the shooting. And to make a long story short, we actually finished the film on December 10th, the day the toy opened in the theaters. And they did a two-part um, rap, rap excuse me, rap party. That day, we, we finished at like five o'clock. We wrapped the film and they go, okay, everybody's got to be on, out front by 7.15. We have somewhere to go. And they got 12 minivans. Everybody from the cast and crew, they had bought four rows of seats at the local movie theater the opening night of the toy. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. So that was the first part. And the second part was the next day we had a little barbecue, whatever. And on Sunday, I went home. Huh. So, I mean, the, the it was the job that, that I did. I mean, I brought it every day. I knew everybody's lines. I knew everything. I mean, I was the cameraman. I don't think you've seen it, right? You've never seen Kid Co? I have Either not. One. I, I have not. No. I know so about it. I, I haven't seen it. There's one scene that's in a courtroom. And I've got a very long diatribe of dialogue. And I'm pacing back and forth, you know, in front of the judge. So I got there. My call time that day was 7. I was supposed to get picked up. I tell the, the driver, pick me up 6.15. Picks me up 6.15, takes me over. I grab my coffee, grab my bagel. I grab the cameraman. I said, come on, let's go in the courtroom. Let's walk this out. It was already about three weeks in the shooting. So he walked in. He started getting my pacing. They laid the dolly track down. They put the camera on it. He walked across with me a couple times. They put the extras all in the courtroom. Everybody else sits down. And Ron Maxwell goes, okay, we're going to, uh, you know, we've got a couple of days to do this. Let's not, you know, worry and da, da, da. we'll just take our time. We'll get it done. You know, let's rehearse or whatever. I said, we got it. Don't worry. We got it down already. Just let's just shoot it. Let's go. Now we're shooting 35 millimeter. So it's expensive. You know, right. it's not like I'm, we're shooting digital video here, you know. And he just looked at me and he asked the camera guy, you okay with this? Absolutely. We're fine. 
okay, let's do it. Mm. We were supposed to shoot that scene for like a day and a half, a day and three quarters. We were about an hour after lunch. We finished the whole thing. We had the whole thing done. <laughs> nice. Unbelievable. That's awesome. You know, just a, it was, it was a, uh, you know, for again, and it, it's not an ego thing. It's just one of those things that just you're proud of something you did and the amount of work that you put into it, you know, the responsibility that you had, you know. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. because uh, 20th had no faith in the film, they did a te- they did a test screening day in Mobile and Birmingham, Alabama, <laughs> opened it up the same weekend as this this little film. I know you've never heard of it. it starred Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah called Splash. Sounds familiar. Sounds a little fishy. Yeah. We're in these two double <laughs> two double plexes. Now, what are people going to go see? This little kid's movie? Are they going to go see Splash? Mm-hmm. You know? So they went to see Splash, and then everything, it's... you know, they flew us, and we did, and whatever. And they get done, and they're like, well, you know, we just had didn't have a big response to the film. No. Really? <laughs> There's a shocker for you. So, you know. Yeah, I wonder why. Release it on video later. Yeah. So you go from Kiko to probably one of the biggest cult classics ever with a Christmas story. By complete, no, nobody saw this coming. Nobody. MGM didn't even want to make the film. Oh, wow. Bob wow. Clark, the director, blackmailed them into doing this because he had done Porky's and it made so much money. Porky's budget was like $1.5 million or something and it made over 105 or $103 million at the box office. Back then. Mm. So he had all the juice because they wanted Porky's 2. And he said, absolutely, no problem. Let's do Porky's 2 right after we do my other film, A Christmas Story. They're like, no, no, we really need you. He's like, absolutely. Right after I do Christmas Story. And he explained to them, the weather is perfect for Christmas Story. I need a winter setting. I need a spring-summer setting for Porky's 2. I'm going to shoot Christmas Story. I'll edit it while I'm filming. I'll do it all. I'll get it done. And we'll, we'll then we'll do Porky's 2. So that's what he did. And uh, then MGM didn't want to release the movie. And because Bob owned a piece of it, he called Darren McGavin. And they were actually talking about buying the film from MGM to get it a release. And then finally MGM said, fine, my God, shut up already. Okay. (laughs) You know, and they put it out and it started in 400 theaters. Then it was 800 theaters. Then it was 1400 theaters. Then the fourth week, I think it's Rambo three i think that comes out either rambo three or i don't it might have been rambo two one of them came out then there was another couple of big christmas movies and took all the theaters and christmas story was gone wow still a nice little run in the theaters we're back then Mm. yeah they made money mgm didn't lose money on the film they were thrilled they never thought they'd see two two nickels back but uh, but of those other christmas movies that came out the same year. Which one has a marathon on TBS and TNT every Christmas? Well, that's <laughs> right. And that and that unto itself is just crazy and and wild. Ted Turner was buying the. the and M- that, go ahead. I was going to say that one is in my top three favorite Christmas movies. So well, thank you, thank you. Um, well, mine's. I mean, I love Elf. You know, and I, I love, love uh, you know. Me Christmas vacation is okay, and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Christmas. Like okay, Christmas vacation. Um, but uh, Ted Turner was buying the MGM library at yeah. the time for TNT and TBS, and apparently he needed a couple of movies. The story I got from somebody who was pretty much as high up in Turner as you could get. Uh, his Ted's secretary said, "Have you seen a Christmas story?" And he said, "No, what's that?" <laughs> <laughs> so she went home and she brought in her v- VHS. And again, from what I understand, Ted Turner and Jane Fonda sat in his office and watched it and said, oh, 
what a lovely movie. And they called MGM and said, hey, do you want to throw this in the package? And they said, sure, it's $250,000 to them. It's free money. It's sitting on VHS. It's doing nothing. So he buys it, and then they decided to put it on the marathon, and the rest is history. They had tried the marathons before. They tried it with It's a Wonderful Life. Right. It worked for a year or two, and then it bombed. You know, it bombed out the third year. They tried it with Wizard of Oz, went for a couple years, and then it bombed out. And they do it with Christmas Story, and here we are. Oh, my God, it's 23 years later or some such nonsense. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and the, the marathon has been running for what? At least 10 years every year. It's been at I, least. A- I think either 96 or 97 starts the marathon. It's 23 years. Wow. I didn't realize it was and, that and long. And it's got. Okay. Oh, yeah. And it's got, you know, they, 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 they say there's over 50 million homes across the country that tune into Christmas Story at one point or another during the marathon. Yeah. It's, it's unheard of. It's insane. <laughs> You know, God bless him. I mean, I, you know, it's wonderful. It's just, it's wild to think. I'm sure, yeah. So in A Christmas Story, what what ends up being one of your favorite scenes? Oh, uh, Chinese Restaurant is, okay. is my favorite scene. Um, and anything with Darren was great because he was just wonderful. You know, I didn't, I didn't get to work with him. I'm not in any scenes with him. But, mm. you know, the end result with the fragile, it must be Italian. And, you know, all the shtick that he ah. does, yelling at the furnace and all that stuff, you know. The, the the turkey yep. scene at the end with the dogs. Yeah. Yes. Get dressed. We're going to go out for dinner. And I'm sure you get asked a lot. The infamous. Yeah. Okay. Then I won't ask. No, <laughs> the infamous tongue on the flagpole scene. Mm-hmm. Obviously, ah. you did not stick your tongue on an actual flagpole even though Not i believed exactly. it even though i believed it back then as a kid of course. because at the time yeah <laughs> i mean i'm an audio engineer now at, at walt disney world i've been in the the industry 30 something years because uh, i started in high school but i didn't i didn't know effects work i did i knew lighting i knew audio um but i i knew later it's like okay I know for safety and everything else, you Scott did not put his tongue on the flagpole in that scene, even though it's very believable. How was it done? How how were you able to your, do it your, safely? Your statement is like 50-50 right and wrong. Okay. There really was a flagpole there, but they had they had made a piece of plastic to put over the flagpole and they painted it so it looked like it was a rusty pole. There was a hole in it about then they had to measure me out and where my tongue was and all that. And uh, they put a hole in it about the size of your pinky nail, just a small little hole in the pole. They had (coughs) run a tube inside between the plastic and the real pole down into the snow, and they had a little motor, like a dirt devil, the old little vacuum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it acted like a suction tube. So when I got there, it was just, and I was stuck. I was, but I wasn't, because there were takes where I popped off the thing, you know, whatever. But, so I really wasn't stuck, so to speak. That, okay. So the secret's out. That's a cool little trick. From from the, from the time frame, this is something that would never happen today, okay? So we get there, and I'm like, well, how's this going to work? So Bob Clark tells the guy, okay, start the motor. So he starts the motor, and Bob says, okay, watch this. And Bob goes over, and he sticks his tongue in the pole, and he's got the suction happening. He goes, see, I'm doing right here. I got my fucking fucking here. Okay, I, no problem. He pulls his tongue away. Nobody cleaned the pole. <laughs> so his tongue had just been there from the cleansing, you know, standpoint of, you know, acting bacterial soda. Nothing. It was just nothing. He put his tongue in the pole. 
you know, and these things you don't think of you know, at all. Nobody, nobody said, hey, let's clean the pole before the kid gets No, just go ahead. <laughs> That's you know, awesome. Wow. Who, one of, one of, oh, I think it was Teddy, the woman that played Miss Shields. This was years later, okay? We were sitting at a, a Q&A or whatever it was, and I told the story, and she goes, so, what did Bob taste like? I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and there we have it again, corruption on set. <laughs> oh, completely. <laughs> Things you could not do today. No, God, no. It's totally you know, different. She's, uh, Teddy, Teddy's wonderful. At, we talk. She's on my Facebook. We've done signings together, stuff like that. To this day, I still call her Teach. I say, hey, Teach, how you doing? Then she wanted to go back and forth. Uh, when they did the live thing on Fox, you know, it wasn't really something that I wanted to watch, but I kind of had to, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, Jane Krakowski played the Miss Shields role. So Teddy and I were, she, I knew she was going to watch it, whatever. So I called her and I said, let me tell you something, Teach. You never looked that sexy in your whole life, baby. Look at them legs. <laughs> and she just cracked up. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So with that cat, I mean, that was almost an all-star cast you worked with there as well. Well, it, sort of, but not really. I mean, there's no A-listers. I mean, you've got good people. Melinda Dillon, right. Darren McGavin. You know, Peter had done television. He had done, um, uh, I want to say That's Incredible, but that might not be actually the name of the show. But I think so. Real, I think it was Real People. Real People. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Real People. Which I actually oh. appeared. I actually right, right. appeared on Real People. Wow. Uh, they came to Arkansas, Jonesboro, Arkansas, do this bit on this kid who was the youngest soccer referee. <laughs> and they, but he was also a player as well. So they, they had someone getting net. And I, I was in his league, played against him. And his father, who used to be an assistant coach with the Chicago Sting, insisted I be in net. And he goes, I know you stop him all the time when you guys play against each other, but you got to let him score a couple. Make some good saves. Make yourself look good. But you got to let him, you got to give him some as well because of the show. <laughs> so I think for shooting, we went 50-50. Um, but I, I'm in a couple of the sequences. I, I was much lighter then. I was hundred or a couple hundred pounds lighter then. But I, I made a couple. <laughs> I, I was in for 10, 15 seconds on Real People. I'm not going to make any any jokes about he had more hair too i'm just not going to go there oh i i had more hair too i had more hair too and i think i just got unless unless you shaved it i do i do shave it because no, it's the most comfortable but i think scott schwartz just called me bald and cool i like that <laughs> no i just said you had more hair as a kid that's all I said. <laughs> um so yeah it was real people I, that's why i remember that show so well is a lot of people yeah, so don't so it wasn't a big cast. There's no monster stars. There's no special effects. There's no nothing. It's just a regular movie that's just wonderful. And it's, yeah. you know, about the relationship between a father and his son and the son gaining dad's respect and getting older and the BB gun thing. And, you know, uh, you know, and mom being very uh, much a mom of that era, asking questions about what's going on. How you, what, what is this? What do you know? Melinda was wonderful. I mean, the cast was great, but it wasn't big stars. You know what I mean? The the, the kids, um, uh, the kid Schwartz, the triple dog dares me. I knew him from New York. He was on, he had done Les Mis later on. 
Um, but the bullies, they were both from uh, – one was from Canada, one was from L.A. Uh-huh. But regular kids, you know, Yano played uh, Grover Dill, the small bully. He did Hot for Teacher, the video, and yeah. did some other tips and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, um, Zach Ward, who played Scott Farkas, the bully. You know, he had done a few little things, but nothing major. And then he did a show called Boogie's Diner. Then he was in Transformers, and he's done 50 films since then. But back then, we were just a bunch of regular kids. And that's really what Bob wanted, you know. I mean, I, I, I said, you know, my audition for Christmas Story may be the most fun audition in the history of mankind. I had finished shooting Kid Co. And it was the, the following week that I go and see Bob for Christmas Story. You know, again, my I, we lived in New Jersey, so my dad was always driving me into the city. So I go in, I'm talking to Bob. My dad's sitting outside, and Bob, after four or five minutes, he goes, you know, I missed lunch. You want to go have a hot dog? You're asking a kid in New York City, you want to go downstairs and have a dirty water dog? Let's go. You oh, know? street dogs are wonderful. So we go down and get the, you know, mustard and kraut and a yoo-hoo. Okay, fine. And we bs and we're talking and chit-chatting, whatever. We go back upstairs. We talk for two minutes. He goes... Got to tell you, it was a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming in. I said, do you want me to read me, read me lines, dialogue? Nope, nope, we're all good. Okay. And I left, and my agent's office was about seven blocks away. So we just walked up to say hi or whatever. So I walked in, and she goes, what did you do? Well, I don't know. We chit-chatted. Went and had a hot dog. We chit-chatted some more, and I left. She goes, he called. You got the movie already. That's it. <laughs> all it took was a dirty dog. A dirty water dog. That's all it took. A, a street dog. Yep. And those street dogs are the best. Oh, still love them to this day. If it's clean, if you, I I have always been told if you go to a, to a hot dog cart, at least back then, I don't know how it is now. It's been a long while. It, you watch someone order a dog first. If it's clean water, go to another cart because those dogs aren't good. Exactly. You got to go to the ones where the water hasn't been changed for like a day or two. Yeah. Yeah, or or at least most of the day. That's why they call or, it a dirty water dog. And, and it's the water that makes the flavor. That Hudson, ah. it's that Hudson water sitting in dog juice all day that and makes it, the flavor of those dogs. And it's a bread hot dog. Yes. With mustard and kraut. Now, there are people that put onions and other things, and that's okay, however you like it, you know. But I was a mustard and kraut guy and still am. And I, I'm not a I'm not a kraut guy. Um Typically, most most hot dogs. I'm strange. I put mayonnaise on them. You are, and and I accept that. Very strange. That's what. That's why I'm. We're all geeks. I, I put. I'll do. I'll do mustard and mustard and mayonnaise. But a street dog, mayonnaise only, or not mayonnaise, mustard only. And, and it's the and it's the yellow mustard. You don't put any other mustard on it. It's just straight yellow mustard. I do the 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 uh, the, the, the golden spicy yeah. brown or I, I think that's the mustard, whatever. More of the deli mustard, as they call it. Yeah, you. I, when I was first introduced to him, uh, the the gentleman who introduced me, it was at a. We had just moved to uh, Orange County, New York, uh, Middletown area, and a youth group trip uh, from the temple. We went into the city, and um, our youth group advisor. I had just moved to the area from Oklahoma City area, and he he goes, "I know you've had hot dogs. But I'm going to introduce you to the proper hot dog." And he introduced me by doing, he goes, I'm, put crap. I'm like, I'm not big on sauerkraut. He goes, all right, what do you put on your dog? I said, ketchup, maybe some mayonnaise. He goes, nope, mustard. Dirty dogs, it's mustard. Mm-hmm. Mustard only. You don't put ketchup on it, mustard. And he introduced it to me with yellow mustard. I don't know if he didn't think if I would be able to handle the spicy mustard at the time. Um, <laughs> but They say it's spicy mustard, but it's really not. Yeah. But <laughs> I, 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 I would. Went. 
That's what's perfect about this show. We, we go wherever the conversation takes us. Absolutely. That's what's fun. But no, that's the only hot dog I do. A dirty dog, street cart dog, is the only dog I do mustard only. I don't put any, any other condiment on it. No ketchup, no mayonnaise. It's just straight mustard. When I was younger, I used to put honey on my hot dogs. Ooh. Sounds interesting. I never tried it. I have to try that. It's one. actually pretty oh, good. I have to try that. It's a, it is. I have to try it. It's actually pretty good. Okay. Well, we we used to get this sauce called Old Style, which was almost like a mustard mayonnaise horseradish shot sauce. Okay. And I, I used to put that on my dogs too until it got to be real too uh, almost too spicy, too much of a kick. I'm like, okay, I need to ease back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the listeners have had enough of our hot dog chat. <laughs> well, let's go a different direction then. Uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Corey Haim, uh, which an actor who has gone way too soon. He, I mean, your kids working together. You know, we did a TV movie of the week with Liza Minnelli together, and uh, we had fun during the shooting, and we're two buddies, you know. And that's the middle of 85, and I moved to California the beginning of 87, and he was already out. And uh, but I mean, I was just getting my feet wet, you know, the first year or so, 10, 11, 11 months. And uh, my dad came out to buy a business and we ended up moving in the same apartment building together. Save rent. You get two part, you know, he, he took the penthouse. I was in the apartment right underneath his. And I mean, we were we were close friends. There was no question, you know, love that kid, miss him every day. And, uh, you know, I know all the ins, outs, good, bad, ugly you know, I mean, I saw it all. I was there, you know, and, you know, it's, uh, I, it's a sad shame he's gone. No in, question. In my opinion, yeah. of the two Corys, I thought he was the more talented. And not even close. You're, you're, you're in like the 98th percentile against the much less percentile. You know, Haim was yeah. much more rounded, could do comedy, could do drama, cried, yeah. laughed, whatever was in the middle. He could do all of it, you know. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, I, I I know the various film. To me, I thought he carried Lost Boys. He carried um, mm. License to Drive. Uh, he definitely carried um, Oh, Dream a Little Dream. Well, yeah, okay. Um, but I mean, Silver Bullet is a different movie. Yeah, you know, and yeah. great. Oh, I yeah. love Silver Bullet. You know, Murphy's Romance. He's great. I mean, he's working yes. with Sal Field and James Garner, and he still held his own. You know, and not everybody can do that. No. And he did. No, I, I agree. But like I said, you know, talking about the, the Corey, the, the two Corey films, you know, the films with Corey and Corey, Haim is what carried the films personally, in my opinion. Uh, and it and it showed because um, because I think Feldman, even even though he to me, I think his best film was The Goonies. Uh, and I did like him in Stand By Me. He was still carried by the rest of that cast. Listen, um, anything that's not a Corey and Corey picture, it's ensemble things. You know, Christmas Story is an ensemble piece. Right. Lights the Drive is the two of them, and then you've got the girl, you know, and you've got the buddy. Um, but when they're together, it's like a, it's it's kind of them them just being good on screen together. They they were great on screen together. Who carries who is kind of irrelevant. It's like. You know, Abbott and Costello, right. you know, right. Yeah. Costello's 10 times funnier, but Abbott is the one that makes it work, you know, so uh -huh. you've got to kind of put it where it goes, you know, you know, I mean, there's, I'm sure we're going to get into the whole thing, but, you know, it's like I've never said, you know, that Feldman didn't do a good job. He well, did I, the job I, to do, you I'm know, saying you that. Them, I just you like know. Haim's performance better. And, I agree. And, and I think I think Haim's performance 
didn't seem as forced it, it, with a lot of it. But, he was a hell of an actor. He was yeah. a hell of an actor. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's a few of us former child stars from the eras that I kind of put on a little bit more of a pedestal. Not necessarily because I know them or not, you know, just because of the jobs that they did. You know, I mean, Ricky Schroeder was phenomenal. Right. Yeah. Um, Alfonso Ribeiro. I mean, I saw right. him at 12, at 12 years old doing Tap Dance Kid on Broadway, you know, and then he goes into Silver Spoons. And then after that, he goes into Fresh Prince. But he could do anything, sing, dance, act, you know, to me. And I've always said he is by far the most talented kid of all of us of that era, of that time frame was Alfonso. There was no question. Right. Because of all mm. the things he could do, um, you know, uh from a standpoint of what they all did, everybody did their own projects and so forth. But, you know, Feldman and Haim, they all they both had their own niches and their strengths and what they could do, you know. And, uh, you know, you know, I was a Goonies fan growing up, you know, I mean, yeah, oh. I auditioned for it like oh, wow. everybody else in, in L.A., New York and Boston and Chicago and whatever. <laughs> it was just another audition. OK, I didn't get it. OK, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, I did get to meet Steven Spielberg. So that was cool. You know. All right. That's a good deal. He's a great yeah. man. Very nice man. Uh, he actually asked me. I was leaving the audition. He said to me, "Do you blow dry your hair?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "You know, you really shouldn't do that because it hurts. You know, it burns the edges of your hair, and it's not good for your for your hair." I said, "Oh, okay." Do you know from that day until this day, I still blow dry my hair. <laughs> True. True story. I bought Steven Spielberg. Oh, you know. Go ahead, Derek. I was gonna say when you get advice from Steven Spielberg, you know you take it. Oh, sure. I bought Even as you can't take it. I bought Steven Spielberg a Coke at a pizza place outside of Fort AP, Fort AP Hill, Virginia, at the 1989 Boy Scout Jamboree. I was working the Trading Post warehouse. I had just graduated high school and was um, I had gone to the 85 Jamboree as a camper. This is my first time. My only time, uh, and I was on staff working in the warehouse, and we had to fit him for a Boy Scout uniform. And during the fitting, he goes, have y'all eaten yet? No. Hey, let's go to lunch. There's a pizza place right off. I saw a pizza place right off base. Let's go there. Sat down and had pizza with him. Chit-chat. So I got up, was buying a Coke, and I said, uh, would you like something to drink, sir? Yeah, I'll take whatever you're getting. Okay, cool. Came back with two Cokes. <laughs> There you go. That's my Spielberg moment. So um, now with speaking of Feldman, you, you were definitely, you know, we're recording this in June, beginning of June. Good chunk of May, you you were in the news going kind of head to head with Feldman. Mm -hmm. what, what was that all about? No, yeah. there's only so long that you can let something not good continue, you know. And he had pushed the, you know, what had happened to him and what happened to him. And he's my best friend. And he told me to say this and da, da, da. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm very still very close to this day with Judy Haim, with Corey Haim's mom. She's like a second mom to me after, Jesus, 35 years almost, you know. Um, and uh, it just the, the book, I mean, whatever, you know, and then it was the movie on Lifetime. Oh, geez, whatever. And then this whole documentary thing, that was finally the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, the, the lying, the nonsense, the accusing of people, you know, some, you know, of which I know, some of which I know better, you know, but I was there, you know, I mean, I talked to him. I know what happened to him. I know who did it. I know the story. He told it to me. And uh, Feldman uses it as a marketing tool to get 15 more minutes mm -hmm. and money and make money, 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 selling, selling, selling. And, you know, 
if he would have said to Judy Haim, listen, if I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm including your son and I'm going I'm to split the money with you, well, at least she's getting something out of it. She may not agree with it, but she'd be getting something out right. of it, but he doesn't do that. He uses to enrich himself, you know, and uh, I just I couldn't I couldn't hold my tongue anymore, you know, and, and I mean, you know, the the the. Uh, you know, we'll just start off at the top, I guess. You know, the Charlie Sheen thing. What happened, you know, supposedly with Corey Haim during the shooting of Lucas. And he was taken in the middle of two trailers by Sheen and, you know, raped and all. It's baloney. It's baloney, mm. you know. I mean, I asked Haim. He, he told me the person that did it. I can say the guy's name not because he's dead. Dominic Braja is the one who actually did something to him. And he said that. And uh, I said, was there anybody else? He said, no. Now, why would he lie to me? Why would he not tell me something at that point? You know, when you live below somebody and you you right. are that close with them, you know. And so, I mean, I've done my homework. It's like I know who Charlie was dating before that, you know, or just as he left to go shoot. He was dating a girl. And he was chasing girls on the set. And he had a crush on Carrie Green, you know. And he, he grew up in a in a Hollywood family of good-looking men who were famous and they have responsibilities and they're actors. And none of it makes any sense, you know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to say a word I hope it doesn't insult anybody. Whatever. Nope. Charlie Sheen's favorite word in the English language is vagina. Mm-hmm. That's it. That, that's his favorite word. Is it going to make sense that he's going to do something to a 13-year-old boy on a set? No. Outside in the middle of two trails. When you have 85 or 100 people working on a set that could walk by at any second, anybody could hear anything, and it's all over. You've blown it. You've blown the whole thing. Is he going to do that? No, not going to happen. It's it's BS. Um, you know, then there was the you know the the, 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 the we had a club that we used to go to called Alfie Soda Pop. It was New York Seltzer run party by this guy Alfie, who basically was just hired as a host. Alfie's father was a a, um, casting agent, so he knew all the kids, so he could get us all in the same place. What did we do there? We promoted New York Seltzer. We stood there, we drank soda, we had pizzas, we had all this, we sang, we danced, we did karaoke, you know, contests and all this stuff. And Feldman made up all this nonsense about, you know, what went on there. There were men in suits. I love this. It's like the men in black. (laughs) There there were guys in suits. They were looking to be the pedophiles. They're looking for little boys and they're studying who they want to whatever. No, they were off-duty LAPD. That was our security. Feldman actually said he saw a security guy walk a kid back from the bathroom. That was his job. You walk to the bathroom door with the kid. You get there safely. We're in a public hotel. Anything can happen. Yep. Then he walks the kid back. That's his job. And, and, and I'll, no. I'll back that up. Right. Um, during my first year of working at Disney Hollywood Studios, which now or now then it was Disney MGM Studios, the mm-hmm. park here. Um, I was working. Uh, I was working uh, Super Super Soap Weekend, which is when we when the Soap Stars came out, ABC mm-hmm. Soap Stars, and we had some of the the kids from it. And one of the kids um, was had a band, and it was. Even to mic them up, I had to go through secure their security person first, and it got to the point by the end of the weekend. Um, you know, the first night it's like, okay, I need to check you. By the next day, went up and it's like, oh, you got Michael, come on in. How you doing tonight? You know, everything was cool, but he was right there as I was putting the mic on him and everything else just to make sure there was nothing more than I'm putting the mic or the in-ear pack on the gentleman I was working with, on the kid I was working with. And he goes, yeah, 
we travel everywhere with them for these events. And I'm hired by the studios to do it. And we're all and like, cool. So I can only imagine if he had gone to the shop, this guy probably would have been with him as well. So it makes sense. You guys are still underage. You would have had the security. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, again, but it was it was just a fun gathering of kids in show business. It wasn't about fans. Did they have camera people there? Did they have some of the paparazzi there? Yes. Were some of those people not the greatest people in the world to be understood? Yes. Did anything happen there? No. The guy that was the the promoter, Alfie, he's been accused of doing things. And I know who he dated. Mm. I knew the girl he was dating back then. Then he dated another girl, then another girl, then he had a kid. And, you know, now he's, you know, much older and he's got a kid in college and all this stuff. And he's being accused of this stuff. It's ridiculous. Mm. It, it's it, he he was not there to be our friend he was there to be the host of the party be our buddy during the during the party time you know i mean and there were times where we well, could go schmooze. out yeah mel's for schmoozing exactly yeah. you go to mel, you go to mel's diner out here in la and a bunch of people are there and he's there with other people okay fine you know um but he was accused of something it's like no no this is not what happened you know, I was there. I saw it, you know, and, but, and, and I'm not the one who's been on drugs for over 30 years. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not. A, right. And, and all of this is because of Richard Pryor. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I stay even keeled. I don't smoke pot. Nothing. That's all Richard's doing because I, I was inquisitive. But what does this do to you? What does that do to you? And he told me, you know, I said, well, what do drugs do you? He says, well, let me. I goes, I'll explain drugs really fast. I'll give you the easiest way to explain it. I said, OK. He goes, you're standing on a street corner across the street. There's a brick wall. But if you go the other way, you can walk all the way back to New Jersey where you're from. Which road do you want to take? I said, I want to take the longer road. Of course, I don't want to hit the brick wall. He says, exactly. You want to do drugs? You hit the brick wall. You don't do drugs. You go keep walking on the street. Thank you. Oh, wow. So, you know, mm. uh, you know, I mean, I, I understand that that people react differently to things that happen in their lives, you know, and people handle things differently, you know. I'm kind of one of those people that, right. you know, I put things in perspective and I put things in their place. And, you know, being 52 and gone through the sh- stuff, I almost said the SH word, but I made it the stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I understand more than most. But when I see somebody at 49 talking about how hurt he is for things that happened to him at 14 and 15, I'm like, dude, you need therapy and you got to leave that crap behind. Yeah. You got to take your, you got to take the bull by the horn and take your life. And let and you run it. It doesn't run you. Thirty five years later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and and uh, you know, we've there have been multiple things that have been said. I laugh. You know. I I knew. I have pretty good memory. I I figure Feldman kind of lost it when I saw the episode of him on Celebrity Wife Swap. And he talked about, oh, you must do this. I'm like, dude, you are trying to be a mix of Michael Jackson and Hugh Hefner, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know what? <laughs> I see I'm getting dark. I'm going to put my light on. Hold on. No problem. Yeah, I'm sorry to say I missed that episode. <laughs> just. No, you see, you have to understand that there's more to it than that. Yeah. See, you just celebrity wife swap. What you don't see, and anybody can look up, anybody who's watching the show, you can Google all this stuff. He ran sex parties at his house where he would invite men to come over and they were charged a couple of hundred bucks at the door to get in. And there'd be girls there. And if you want to get together with a girl and you want to use a bedroom, well, that's another fee of a couple of hundred bucks. If you want to be outside in the cabana that he had set up next to his pool, they give you a little bottle of champagne. That's a little bit more. If you do something with the girl, that's on you, whatever that is that, you know, whatever. Meanwhile, 
at the same time, his son is sleeping down the hallway. His son is home. Mm. And his kid's three, four, five, six years old. You know, whatever ages, you know, from the time he was born until he was, you know, whatever. Six, seven, I think. Uh. About six, I think, is when he gets divorced and the, the, the wife and the kid moved out. So, I mean, this is where you're taking this stuff from. This is the mindset. It's the Hugh Hefner, Michael Jackson right. mindset, you know. And I can't make it up because you can Google it. It's there. Yeah. People wrote stories about it. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and you and you see it. Uh, I, I know, Derek, you said you, you haven't seen that episode and you missed it. Find it and just watch up until the actual swap, which is within the first mm. 10, five, 10 minutes. It's hysterical. And, and then watch right. when the, I forgot who who the Tommy Davidson. That's right. It, really? it was, yeah, it was his girlfriend. It, it was the two girlfriends that swapped. Wife. I think it was his wife. OK, I think it was Tommy's wife and it, they, they do the swap. OK. And when she goes to Feldman's house and he gives her a piece of paper with the rules of the house and says, you know, you have to wear lingerie and angel wings and you have to eat this and you have that. And she goes, are you crazy? You you have to keep track of the Corey's cuties. And it's like, whoa. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to have to check. Once I got to. I think it's on YouTube. I think you can watch it on YouTube. I I mean, listen. I got to that point and then he shows up and she goes, I'm not doing this. I'm like, I'm not doing that's when I'm turning it off. This is a train wreck. I just don't want to watch. I I had to step forward because I'm the only one that can do it. You know, that's not a family member. That's not, you know, Corey Hames, mother, father, sister, you know, whatever. But I was there and I'm the only one that can say I was there and I know what happened and I know what went down, you know, and he can say he, he's made up stuff. He's accused me of being, uh, uh, a provider for pedophiles. I mean, all this stuff. He's wow. done Twitter feeds and all. And you know what? I mean, honestly, is it something that's going to hurt me? No. You know, I'm, I'm much too far advanced mentally than he is to think that something he's going to say is going to hurt me. I find it amusing because I actually can see somebody's imagination at work. His imagination is phenomenal. He wouldn't know reality if it hit him in the face. You know, it's sad, but it's true. This is what 30 years of drug abuse can do to you. Your brain is all you don't remember things. You change things. Right. You know, know, again, this was back when we were kids. Okay, I'm older than he is by far. I'm driving. He's not. He called me up one day and said, hey, I need a ride to the comedy store. I'm going to meet so-and-so, a porn star. And I knew who she was. And I said, dude, come on. Give me a break, will you? Stop already. He's like, no, dude, I'm really going to – this I got to see. I ain't going to see nothing this week. This I got to see. <laughs> I pick him up and I take him to the comedy store and Sam Kinison is there. And Ron Jeremy is there, and there's a few of the girls there. And, of course, I know who both of them are. They were gorgeous women. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. I'm at, okay. And I said, how you doing? Okay, fine. We talked for 10 or 15 minutes. I'd never met them before. And I said, you okay? And he goes, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, man. I said, okay, goodbye. That was it. I left. I walk out. That That's all I did. I was the Uber driver, okay? I'm the called Uber driver. <laughs> this is 1987. This is August of 87. 92, we go on the Howard Stern show together. And Howard brought something up about it. And I laughed and I told the story. He's sitting next to me. Feldman is sitting next to me. And he goes, dude, we don't need to talk about that right now. I want to talk about my music, my music. Okay, fine. So he doesn't call me a liar. He doesn't say, no, that's not what happened. We just don't want to talk about that. Let's just talk about whatever. Okay, fine. 
Now you go ahead 27, 28 years later. Now he's retold the story. Now she was my friend and I went to get him to take him to her house so she could molest him. (laughs) Now, if you're, you know, 16 plus years old and you've hit pretty and and you've got a early to mid 20s gorgeous woman in front of you if you call that being molested you got something wrong with you sorry you know if you're a heterosexual male and you got a problem with that you know somebody got to talk to you okay yeah but my own my own that wasn't what i mentioned then would be does he does he actually believe that's what happened or is he just Mm -hmm. oh no yeah now i'm sure that he believes that's what happened because his brain mm. his memory Wait, is not what it was. Right. But now hang on. Here's the funny part. That's the story now, right? This is the new narrative. Now we go back about four years ago. He actually did an interview, a live on camera interview where he tells the story. Yeah. I called a buddy of mine. He took me to the comedy store and to see Sam Kinison and these girls. and uh-huh. So he actually told the story, how it happened three <laughs> years ago, five years ago, something like that. Maybe it was 10 years ago. I don't know when that interview was done, but he actually told the story of how it happened. But now the story has changed because now it fits. Uh-huh. Now it fits his narrative that he's got to try to damage me in some way, my reputation, whatever you want to say. This is how mm. it's like, dude, you already screwed the pooch. You already, you know, yeah. so this is this is his thing. It, it, seeing how skewed his reality is getting uh, definitely ce- celebrity wife swap. You see it. Um but even when uh, they, he and Corey Haim did the reality show, mm-hmm. you could you could see. Oh, it. okay. You have to yeah, I remember that. These two guys were not friends. Not past sometime around mid nineteen ninety. They were not friends. They worked together because that's called being professional. And it right. puts food on the table and a roof over your head. And Haim understood big paydays came with Feldman, and Feldman understood big paydays come with Haim. They were Corey and Corey. That's just how it went. Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, every comedy, you know, uh, 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 Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. You know, you got a you got a team. They did big money together. Not so much when they were apart. You know, I mean, Haynes, you know, did good. I mean, they both did okay, Um, but not the same. And this whole thing with, you know, oh, Corey, Haim, my best friend, blah, blah, blah. It's all baloney. It's all BS. Mm. You know, I mean, there's so many you know, I, I'll tell you one, which is a monster in the room. Corey Haim passed early Thursday morning on March 10th, 2010. Nine hours later, 10 hours later, I'm at his apartment because he passed at two o'clock in the morning, whatever. So around around 11, 30, 12 o'clock, I got over to his apartment. I talked to his mother crying. OK, fine. I leave. Sometime around three o'clock, Feldman showed up. They talked whatever he left. The next morning, it switched. He got there about 1030 in the morning. This is 36 hours, 40 hours after his best friend passed away. And he's trying to get Corey Haim's mom and dad to let him shoot the funeral and he will pay them something around $250,000 so they can shoot the funeral, re-edit it into the second season of Corey and Corey, get a re-release on television and a re-release on DVD. So they could make money. 
if your best friend in the world just passed away, do you even have one morsel of energy in your body to think about making money from them? No. No. That's what went down. I got there about an hour and a half after Haim's mom and dad threw him out, and I showed up, and they were pissed. I said, uh, what the hell is going on? And his dad took me outside onto the little patio and told me the whole thing. You know, it's all about money to him. It's all about money. The reason why – let me just say this. The reason why I've spoken up mostly – actually, the whole reason. It, it's for different people for different reasons. You know, the lies about Corey, uh, uh, Charlie Sheen is bullshit. The stuff about Alfie, bullshit. The the nonsense that's gone on and making money off of Haim, it's bullshit. But number one most important is you have a grieving mother. Right. This woman has grieved now for a decade, and she hasn't had a moment's peace with this guy. He will not stop. My objective, mm-hmm. I will stop talking about him when he stops talking about and making money off of Corey Haim. That's right. the stop. That's my objective in all of this. I don't need 15 minutes. I don't need to get paid. I'm not getting paid to do this webcast, this podcast. I'm not getting paid to do the other ones. It's just getting him to shut up, period. What What has been, a, I'll, I'll use the phrase, attempted backlash from him about you speaking up? Oh, like I said, he sends out his tweets and, you know, that I'm, you know, the pedo protector and all that nonsense, you know. When, in fact, mm. Dominic, the guy that did something with Haim several years after Feldman found out about it, was still friends with this guy, put them in a movie together, knowing that Haim would hit the roof, gave him work, get, get you know, pay him to do a job. This is the guy, and you know that he fiddled with your friend, and you're going to put him to work? You're going to put money in his pocket? What are you, out of your mind? You know, you're going to burn him at the stake is what you're going to do. No, you give him work. You're his buddy. Okay, fine. Um... Other than his dad, he does some live feeds and, you know, spouts his nonsense. And I laugh, you know, and people send them to me all the time. You know, hey, look what he said to, to go in 10 minutes. This is what he, he talks about you. OK, whatever. And I laugh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and you know, he's typical. You know, he has to resort to name calling and all that kind of crap. But I could care less. You know, he ain't paying my bills. I don't give a damn. I just want him to shut up. You know, he can say anything he wants. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. You know, let him stand in front of me and open his mouth. It ain't going to happen. He's too much of a wimp. You know, there's other words I use for that, but I'm being, you know, PC here. On <laughs> you know, I mean, I've joked. You know? It's sort of a sort of a half joke. I said, you know, he wants to have it out. No problem. Bring it forward. Let's go into a WWE ring and have an all all out battle royal battle royal. No holds barred. No gloves. No nothing. And if somebody gets hurt, somebody gets hurt. The uh, biggest can of excuse my French here, but the biggest can of whoop ass would be happening. Let's get Stone Cold Steve Austin as the referee, and I will pay money for it. Oh, I, <laughs> you know, I, I'd probably like Lawler to Lawler to referee, and oh, you know, uh, now we're talking, yeah. Oh, I get Lawler to referee pretty easy. That wouldn't be too hard. Um, Speaking Justin, of- Justin, what's his name? He's the ring announcer now for AEW. Justin. Oh, 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 oh. And he's a friend of mine, and I can't think of his last name. He's my buddy, and I can't. Oh, my God. I just went blank (laughs) on his name. But I could let him bring an ounce, you know. I mean, you know. And I watch AEW religiously, too. I know who you're talking about. Roberts, Justin Roberts. Yes. Yes. Get him the ring announce. No problem. I'll do it anywhere, any place, anytime. Pay per view. All the money goes to Judy Haim. I don't want ten cents. I don't want a dollar. Nothing. Nothing. Works for me. Give it, give it, give it all to Judy Haim. I don't want it. Let her get paid for the ten years of BS that he's put her through. I don't want nothing. I want the pleasure of standing in front of him and just opening up the can of whoop ass. Works for me. You know. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of wrestling. 
you have a new Christmas movie coming called yeah, the Rest- it's, a low, it's a low independent, the Christmas wrestling miracle, that, or whatever. That's that's right up our alley. We love independent films. Yeah, it's uh, um, oh yeah. I mean, I play the uh, the uncle to the main kid who's kind of the star of the thing. He is, he isn't, whatever. And it's kind of a mystery picture of you know. He makes a movie. His his friend is sick, and he makes this movie for him. And then the movie gets stolen. And then we have to find the bad guys, you know, to uh, to get the movie back from them. It's you know, a cute little low budget picture, but it was fun. So that's going to be a, a straight to video on demand. Probably, probably. I, I will be looking forward to that. Yeah, sounds sounds good. I had fun people that I worked with. You know, it was, it was a fun little cast. Most of them are, you know, not over, you know, professionals. Julie McCullough and I were the two that had names, you know. She's in oh. Growing Pains. She was a Playboy Playmate. She's a stand-up comedian. Yep. She's hysterical, you know. But uh, there's another girl, Candy, Candy Fox is her name. She's an actress from New Jersey, and she does a lot of indie pictures, you know. And there's a few other people in the film that were just hysterical. I mean, it was it was just it was it. the cast was was fun to work with, no question. Yeah, I'm looking at your cast list: uh, Jimmy Walker, Michael Winslow. Yeah, they're well. doing stuff other places. I didn't actually yeah. get to work. This looks like it's going to be a fun film. I, yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. You know, still get work once in a while, and it's it's always fun to do something and have some fun. You know. Yeah. Where can people find you online? Oh, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm not a hermit, but I mean, I'm on Facebook, you know, it's under my name and, you know, there's a picture of me jumping off a top ring in a, re- in a wrestling ring off the top rope, <laughs> jumping on the, jumping on the guy and Jerry Lawler's holding his legs, you know, um, you know, it's, it, I, I accept some friends requests, not all, if I have mutual friends with people, then I accept them, you know, but you know, I'm not the Twitter guy. I'm not the, I got to tell everybody I'm going to the sushi joint or the Wiener schnitzel or whatever, the deli. I, it's just not me. You know, I'm just, I've never been that guy, you know, and I'm not uh, a female with, you know, Kardashian boobs or tush. So, you know, I don't have a million followers, you know, just, you know, but I do go to shows. I mean, I am, I do appearances all over the country. You know, I do the chiller theater show every uh, April and October. Even if I'm not on the guest list, I go because I grew up there. So I go home to see my friends, oh. you know, mm. go to my local pizzeria, Dominic's Pizzeria at the Somerville Circle. Best pizza I've ever had in my life. You know, I mean, places you go, the people that you know for your whole life, you know. Um, oh, God. Sometimes I go to Fanboy Expo in Knoxville. Uh-huh. Um uh, I've done a couple of the Wizard Worlds along the way, although I just I've been going back and forth with them, so I might be on their roster for next year. I don't know. I was going to say Fanboy Expo uh, a couple years ago bought the show here in Orlando, Florida, uh, MegaCon. Mm. So yeah, hopefully one day we'll see you down this way. Oh, I come down your way. We'll, I'll make sure I got to save your number and all that. Cause yeah, I got a friend. She works at the. Um, oh my God. What's the uh, the resort the the uh, square the French French Quarter French Quarter Port Orleans Riverside or Riverside Yes Yeah Okay She runs she runs the the gift shop there She buys Oh and does Okay that, Whatever You know that, I have another friend Leo works there uh, Friends when when they use me for uh, room discount There you go Ninety percent want to go to French Quarter oh, and yeah. I don't blame them You know what I liked Pop Century. Bob Century is a nice one, too. I like that. I like that thing. I stayed in the 50s room. I thought it was great. Uh, I work at Epcot. This is a funny story. Zach and I had a signing um, 
in uh, Tampa okay. this one particular weekend, right? Then we were going to be doing a signing on the other side near like Lauderdale the okay. following yeah. weekend. So I said to him, why would we go home? Let's just stay in Florida. We'll go stay. I got friends of mine at work and they'll take, you know, help us out with the room and all that kind of stuff. You can He's add like, another okay. person to that list. Yeah. So we didn't have to fly back and forth. Okay. So we're going through Disney and a couple times, you know, get little people, whatever, you know, recognizing him. It's hysterical because he's still got the reddish hair and he still looks like Scott Farkas, the bully. So we ended up <laughs> in the Indiana Jones show, sitting there at the Indiana Jones show, and people start recognizing him. Nobody's bothering me. They wouldn't. <laughs> it was nobody them. It was great. So after the thing ended, people literally hoarded. They just grouped together in front of him. Oh, can we get a picture? Oh, can we get a picture? Oh, can we get – and nobody's asking me for anything. <laughs> I just go half an hour, 40 minutes. I'm dying. I'm rolling. I said, dude, I'm going to go I'm gonna go get a soda. I'll be right back. I go and I get my soda and I come back and there's still people. Oh, we got to get a picture. It's the guy from Transformers. It's a Christmas story and he's the bully. And, no, and nobody asked me a damn thing and it was hysterical. <laughs> Except if I was in that group, I would have recognized you and I would have been – I know probably, that guy. But probably. That's me. Yeah. But actually, um, my friend Leo worked in Epcot for a while. He took yeah. us to the Italian joint there, the pizza place in the Oh, uh, Napoli. Uh, yeah, that's all the way at the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the back thing, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's- I had my little baby. I had Miss Elizabeth with me, and I, I got a great picture of her, and she's sitting on my shoulder. For the people that don't know, I have a little uh, three-and-a-half-pound mini teacup chihuahua named Miss Elizabeth, and named for uh- Randy. Savage yep. and Miss Elizabeth, they were my friends. Mm-hmm. So I named her Miss Elizabeth. And, I mean, we had a blast. And the people were like, oh, you got a dog. And I'm like, I got paperwork for her. And she'll just sit in her bag. You know, so I put her back in her bag. And she just sat in the bag and just looked at everybody and hung out, you know. And the kids, some of the kids came over and they were petting her. And it was great. Uh, I, I do. Um, I, I worked the band in the UK, British Revolution, uh, the, the different groups at the Canada stage. I worked uh, Oktoberfest Music Cotton in the Beer Garden. Done a little bit of I did a little bit of everything with the daily op shows there at Epcot, mm-hmm. running audio. So yeah, definitely look me up when you're here. Love to meet you in person. Uh, no problem. I come down there. I come down to Florida. You know. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I've. I mean, I don't have too many friends that live nearby. You know, other than the few people that work there. Um. I. Uh, I mean, I have friends in Lauderdale. I have friends in West right. Palm. Friends near Miami. You know, Tampa, Daytona Beach, Hulk Hogan losing Clearwater. Yeah. Lanny Offo's yep. in Tampa. Yeah. You know, uh, Kevin Nash is up in Daytona Beach. So it's like, you know, yep. I, I go see the gang if I'm in town. I just get on I-4 and just keep going. Let's go yep. back and forth. Okay, fine. Uh, what was it? Scott Hall was in uh, Winter Park, Castleberry area at one time? I think so. Probably. They're all, a lot of the guys are down there. Um, when I first, when we, my wife and I first moved here, uh, I was going to school at um, an audio school here in town called Full Sail. And it was Christmas break. I go to Florida Mall to try and find something for my wife for Christmas. And I, I knew where I was going. So I'm walking through, beelining, zipping in and out through the crowd. All of a sudden, I just bumped into this wall of a man. I was like, I'm sorry, excuse me. Looked up and said, please don't hurt me. It was Billy Gunn. Oh, oh he's a piece <laughs> was, of work. He, he and his wife. Oh, wow. I, I ran into him at a convention two years ago. I was brought in to help uh, cover, um, to run a, a panel last minute because the person who was supposed to do it got pulled for a funeral of someone who had just passed away, and I don't remember who it was. Um, and I ran into him. Because he was, he was signing, and I told him the whole story. He goes, oh, I kind of remember you. I guess you turned out okay. How you doing? 
Greg, uh, when I did the when I did the wrestling thing with uh, with Lawler down in Mississippi, my flight arrived like 45 minutes before Billy's, and they were going to send somebody to pick us up and drive us back, and then drive back, and then I said, forget that nonsense. I'll just get a car and I'll drive us down, you know. And they pay for the rental car, or whatever. Right. It's all two days. Okay, so I, I pick up, you know, I get there, I pick up the car, I go get Billy. I said, how you doing? I'm Scotty Schwartz, you know. Oh, okay. Now, he thinks I work for the crew at the wrestling gig. <laughs> we, we started chit-chatting, whatever, and then he kind of figured out I was not one of the working guys from the local wrestling. <laughs> That's not who I was. I was there doing the special appearance thing and whatever. We had a fun hour and 20-minute drive down. It was It was great. I imagine. Yeah, he, he's he's a great guy, and he, he's always been one of my favorites, whether he they write him a, a crappy storyline or not. Uh, professional. You do your job. Yep. You know, I mean, the guy in Mississippi, his name is Hollywood Jimmy Blaylock. I done some heard that name. Done some stuff on uh, Conan years ago. And, yeah, and yeah. Some, you know, whatever. And he's great. I mean, he's a great promoter, and he does a great job, and he gets the crowd, and he does his shtick, and he's terrific, and, you know. You know, when when we came up with the bit that I was going to do, I was doing the Andy Kaufman bit. You know, they're going to throw me against the turnbuckle and all that. And, you know, yeah. I'm going to go down and then right. months later, I'm going to come back. We didn't know what was going to happen, but months later, I'm going to come back. Well, this other guy's name is Stan Sierra. He's a local from down there. And he gave me like two stinger splashes oh. against the, the, the term. Didn't, I'm fine. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I down. Next thing you know, Jimmy takes off his belt and he's choking me. And this, I mean, this whole spiel. So they, 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 they take me out on the gurney and I'm giving the thumbs up, you know, whatever. And eight months later, I come back and I'm and I'm wearing a neck brace <laughs> and I'm doing the whole spiel, you know. And uh, then as the match progressed and whatever, you know, Stan gets thrown on the ground and I get in the ring and I tear off the neck brace and I give him the whatever, you know, and I tore off my shirt and I've got a macho man shirt underneath it. And I go up to the corner and. I put the hands up and did the macho leap, macho flying elbow. Yep. <laughs> and Blay- Blaylock thought I was nuts. He's like, dude, you're going to hurt yourself. I No, I won't. I'll be fine. So I had to sign a waiver. If I hurt myself, I'm on my own, you know. And Stan's like, uh, you know what you're doing? I said, yeah. He goes, okay. And Lawler's like, dude, you're nuts. You're crazy. I said, I'm going to be just fine. You're going to love it. Okay. And um, <laughs> so then once I did it, then the, the guys from the guys, everybody from the back supposed to come out and whatever. And there's this young couple, and they're just – they're phenomenal. Uh, Dustin and Maria Starr, she does the valet thing for him. Mm-hmm. She's a gorgeous woman, and he's a good-looking dude, and they're talented and whatever. And they come out, and they're giving me high fives. Dude, that was great. It was terrific. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe you did. But, yeah, so I, I always give a shout-out to Hollywood Jimmy because it was just – it's one of those things. I've been a wrestling fan since I'm 10 years old, 9 years old. Right I there couldn't with wait you. to do this my whole life and got a chance to do it, and it was great. Right there with you. <laughs> uh, one, one of my good friends is now back with Impact Wrestling, uh, which is one of the main groups he's worked with uh, ever since I've known him. That's how I met him. Uh, it's a guy, Sean Hernandez. I've heard the name. Uh, also uh, started off as a Super Tex or Supermax or Mr. Texas at one time when he was first starting. But, yeah, he was part of the, uh, the early days of – TNA Impact. Um, he was part of the LAX. Uh, when I met him, he was tag partners with Chavo Guerrero. I got to meet Chavo. He was another fabulous guy, nice guy. Most of them are. Oh, yeah. The oh, main, yeah. You know, I met many along the way because I've done shows with them and I've done wrestling shows. They had one out here. There was like 40 guys there. It's like, all right, fine. You know, and um, 
but I mean Candace Michelle and uh, uh, um, um, Christy Hemme and Tori Wilson. You know, I mean, I met a lot of them, whatever, you know. And at the wrestling show, I, I didn't know, but I guess there's there was some kind of beef or something between Goldberg and Ric Flair. And okay. the, promo- the promoter of the show didn't really know who to put between them who would keep them laughing and make sure that they kept the peace. Now, I had never met Bill in my life. And Rick, I had met a couple times. His wife was there. Okay, fine. So they sit me between them. And Rick got there first. And I'm laughing with him and his wife. And okay, fine. And then Bill came. You know, two Jews. Here we go. You know. Yeah. And so we started laughing. And we're doing Yiddish and all the stuff. And we had a blast. And I just, they didn't kind of interact much the weekend. I was in the middle. It was great. You know, my Roddy Piper was one of my close friends, and I love. Okay. I miss Piper. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I tell people, you know, he would call me or I would call him once every four to six weeks just to say hi, how you doing, what's going on. You know, we were we we were many shows together over the years. You know, autographs and stuff. Right. And he was out here for a show called The Hollywood Show. It's just yeah, yeah. going on nine years ago now. And it was my mom's 70th birthday. And my folks knew people at the show and whatever. So I'd gotten a cake and I was going to hold it on the side, you know, and then bring it over and have people come over and say, ha- sing happy birthday to my mom. So Piper goes, so, does a birthday happen? And I said, yeah, it's my mom. I said, I'm just going to bring it over. No! Bring her to my table. So I, so I brought the cake over, and then I brought my mom over, and Roddy comes out from behind the table, gives my mom a hug and a kiss, and sang happy birthday to my mom. Oh, wow. Now, I, I'm trying to remember. You did a couple of his podcasts, didn't you? Mm-mm, no. No. Okay. I, know, I mean, he I wish had, I didn't had fun, but, you know, he, so he and many. I were friends. So it was just, you know, being in L.A., he called me up. You know, He, he was doing the – um. The Love Boat Valentine's Day episode. Oh. And he calls me up. He's like, dude, you got to come down. You got to see the thing and the set. And da, da, da. I'm like, really? Yeah, come on down. I'd find. So I went down there and he gave me his. He gave me a script and he signed it for me and Gavin McLeod, Captain Stooping signed it for me. And then years later, I end up doing a, a, a pilot for a series and Gavin McLeod's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, I got to say my favorite Piper story. Uh, he was talking about when he first started off um, and the Guerreros brought him to L.A. Coliseum or no, not the Coliseum. It's the L.A. some probably auditorium, the Olympic yes. auditorium. Yes. And uh, he walks down with the bagpipes and he goes, I'm going to play for you the Mexican national anthem. And he warms up the pipes, gets the drones going and then starts in with Cucaracha and got the biggest heat in the world because i don't know how i made it out of the out of that ring alive ah, he listen he was he he learned a lot about psychology along the way as he yeah. went you know but he was a phenomenal heel and a it's great best. baby face you know uh i ring crewed for 15 months from September of 85 to January of 87, I ring crewed on the East Coast, which basically meant I went from place to place, whatever. Right. And sometimes I helped with the ring. Sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I just went and got beers and hot dogs for the guys. Back then, their catering consisted of Domino's Pizza. Now they got a 40-foot buffet at every yeah. Raw and SmackDown. So um, we're in Philadelphia at the Spectrum, and it was for what they call a house show. So it wasn't televised. And they had set up a Piper's Pit. And uh, he was supposed to be with Jimmy Snuka. So something happened with his flight, his plane, whatever it was. He called. He's not going to make it. So they're in a panic. What are they going to do? We, they, we got the pit set up already. 
So he goes, I got an idea, Scotty, go out in the crowd and get a kid who's your size. Got to be exactly just, you know, within an inch or so, either way of your size. I got an idea. I said, okay. So I go out in the arena, I find this kid and I tell his mom what's going on. You know, that he's going to be a part of the show in some way. I don't exactly know, but he's going to do this. Okay. And the kid's just going crazy, freaky, do whatever. So we go in the back and uh, Piper says, okay, this is what we're going to do. He grabbed Iron Mike Sharp. <laughs> Canada's greatest athlete. Yeah, he used to yeah. have leather band on his wrist yeah. and all this. Okay. So oh, this is what we're going to do. I'm yeah. going to come out. I'm going to give a spiel. Mike's going to come out. He's going to give a spiel. He goes, kid, can you look like him? Take off your shirt. The kid's like, sure. So the kid takes off his shirt and they put electric tape down his arm to make it look like Mike as a kid. So he goes, Mike's going to come out, do the spiel. He goes, then I want you to come out and grab, grab my hand with the mic and go, don't mess with my daddy. He goes, Scotty, here. And he throws me a hot rod shirt. He goes, put this on. He goes, when he comes out and says that, you come out and go, oh, no, you don't mess with my daddy. <laughs> the kid and I are then supposed to grab each other and fall to the ground. And then they're going to take care of whatever. Okay. It goes off without a hitch. Mike came out. The kid came out perfect. I came out, did my thing. I grabbed the kid. We fall down. The kid and I are laying on the ground while Piper and, and Mike are destroying the Piper's pit. Every, the walls are falling down, the whole thing. The kid and I are laying on the floor, and the kid's looking at me going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life. Oh, my God. <laughs> the kid was like 13 years old. Okay, fine. We had a blast. Nothing happened. It was very innocent. Okay, fine. Piper's like, great job. Okay, good. So a couple of days goes by and I'm home. It's like 630 at night. The phone rings. And this is the old days when the phone was attached to the wall. Yeah. You know, we had, we didn't have the rotary. We had the touch, you know. Yeah. So phone rings. We were just finishing up dinner. My father picks up the phone. He goes, hello. Yes, Scotty's here. Who's calling? Okay, hold on. He just, my father just looks at me. He goes, y you you'll want to take this. So I pick up the phone. Hello, Scotty. Yeah. Vince McMahon. How you doing? Good. What the hell happened at the Piper's Pit the other night at the Spectrum? <laughs> so I told him, and he's like, you can't do that no more. These guys literally would try and sell ice to an Eskimo. You can't do this stuff. The kid could have sued if something happened. I said, Vince, it wasn't like that at all. The kid just fell down. It was very innocent. Nothing. He goes, good. Take down his phone number. It's the 24-hour number. Something goes on somewhere. You need to get a hold of somebody. Don't get talked into anything. Just call this number. <laughs> so Piper Piper was my dad for a night. And he actually, uh, they, years later, they came out with the, the Roddy Piper, Piper's Pit set. Yeah. It was like a that they came out with yeah oh yeah yeah Bought one and he signed it to me to my son scotty i love you yeah. uh, that's awesome yeah yeah with our um other show that the two of us do it's called wookie radio and uh good friends of ours our good friends of mine um that run a, a band in Quebec did our theme song for it. And at the end is the star Wars main title done on bagpipes. And I, and I use Roddy's line quite a bit off and on. I was like, you know, bagpipes, they're good for two things. Either they, they get you in the mood for either making love or going to fight. Instead, we're going to podcast. <laughs> there you go. So, but no, I, I've always, I, I thought you were going to go for the, you know, you know, yeah. just when you think, you know, the answers, I change the questions. The questions. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have loved Piper. First time I ever saw Piper and I really got into WWE or well, back then WWF was when he had his uh, feud with Snuka. And the first thing I watch is when he smashes the coconut on Snuka's head. I'm like, I mean, listen again, you know, the, the coconut was cut pretty much. So it would just 
You right. know, it was just barely being held together and whatever. But I'll tell you what, that thing's still hard. Yeah. And I mean, he walloped on Jimmy. And, you know, Jimmy wasn't exactly thrilled, but he wasn't pissed either. It was just kind of like it's the job and okay, fine. And, you know, didn't really get hurt, you know, all that. Yeah. But oh, the effect, camera effect, TV effect was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. And then him partnering up with uh, Orndorff and Big John Studd. And it's like, well, I worked, uh, I, I worked WrestleMania 2, the three city one that was New York, LA, LA. and Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So LA was King Kong Bundy, Hulk Hogan in the big blue cage, the steel yep. cage. Yep. The main man. The main event in Chicago was the 30 man battle royale with all the football players and two tall Jones and William Perry and yep. Bill Fralick and all those guys. And I worked the New York show. Vince wanted me to do all the celebrities dressing rooms, you know, so it was the Roddy Piper, Mr. T boxing match. That's right. With Lou Du, I was uh, my my dress oh, for Lou Duva, G Gordon, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, 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 Lou Duva, Mr. T, uh, Joan Rivers, Cab Calloway. Yeah. I had to do all the rooms. Yeah, yes, I, 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 I worked that match. There were there were some legit heat between Piper and T on that too. I remember that. Uh, you know, it was a thing where Piper was old school. Yeah. He wanted you to pay your dues to come up. He wasn't really the, we're going to include a celebrity guy in any of this, you know. I mean, T could take care of himself, and he kind of learned a few things. But, you know, Piper always just had that, you didn't pay your dues to get here. We know that you're a movie star and all that, TV star and all that crap, but we don't really care. Um, Hogan got it, you know. He, right. he instantly got it and knew, you know, this is how it should be handled and done and whatever because he was more – even though he grew up and learned the ways, he sort of knew, you know, stardom and he knew Hollywood right. and what would sell and what wouldn't, you know. I mean, Orndorff, the 15 months I was there, Orndorff didn't say 10 words to me. Nothing. I mean, all the guys talked, you know, most of the guys all talked to me. Orndorff and Greg Valentine, zero. Not even hello most of the time. Wow. And then, you know, years later, I'm here in L.A. They're doing a show. And I got into the room early, and I'm the only one sitting in there. And Orndorff walks in. He says, hey, you know what time this thing is getting going? And I said, well, I think 10. They got early birds at 930, but I don't think you got to be here till 10. I said, I'm actually not working it, but I kind of know the schedule. He's like, oh, okay. I said, well, it's good to see him, whatever. So we started chit-chatting, and I told him, I said, Paul, you, you didn't say five words to me. He's like, I'm an, I'm an introvert. I'm not. You know, I wasn't there to talk and be friends with people. I was just there to do a the job and then go home to my family, you know. And when in five minutes he's showing me pictures of his grandkids. <laughs> you know, just a great guy. And, and you know, same thing with, with Valentine, you know. Uh, I'm down in Florida. I'm, I, I was having dinner with Brutus Beefcake. And he's like, oh, Greg's coming to dinner with us. And I said, oh, okay, that's nice. You know, never really talked to the man, but okay. You know. And Greg's sitting across from me and we just started chit-chatting. And I'm like, he's just a great dude. And now it's like I go see him and he gives me a hug, gets up and he gives me a hug and a kiss. And how you doing? And why's your mom? And what's going on? You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I was going to ask you something else. I don't remember. That, I guess that means. You covered the toy, Kidco, Christmas Story, Sorry. wrestling. Corey <laughs> Feldman. Oh, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there's anything left. You know, the only thing. Oh, there's always something left, brother. The, the only thing I could go side rail back to is you, you, when you said you did the New York seltzer parties. What was your favorite flavor of New York seltzer? Uh, black cherry. Uh, okay. Black cherry. I was root, I was root beer at the time. Uh, like now, that, now that they're back, I like the raspberry. You know, I'm I, I, just because you said it, I'll have to go and find it and try it again. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I ever tried uh, raspberry. I was, I was, uh, I was mostly black cherry. I did a ginger, you know, the ginger ale yeah. once in a while. I had the the uh, the root beer, which I, I'm, I love Stewart's root beer. I'm, you know, it's like yeah. okay, yeah. But I, I used, um, I used to use the lemon lime to make virgin margaritas with. 
and I had and I had someone sold that I was using real tequila. I'm like, nope, there's no alcohol. No, how much alcohol? Is you? None. No, really, how much? None. There's one bottle of tequila in the house. It's right there, and it hasn't been opened yet. Then why am I drinking? You're using New York seltzer. Those those parties were so much fun because it was uh, a group of of kids who didn't have a lot of friends because they were on set so much. So they didn't go to public schools. They weren't in school all the time and you gain a whole group of friends or whatever it was. So we just kind of had a band. I say a band of brothers, even though there were girls, you know, whatever. You know, Angela Lee, who was on Peanuts and Melissa Milano and this one and that, whoever, we, Christina Applegate, okay. Um, but we were a band of, of friends because we all had the same thing in common of things that we were doing and rolling shows or whatever, shooting and... <laughs> You know, it uh, it was a lot of fun. You know, uh, Jeremy Miller from Growing Pains and and Kurt Cameron and uh, Brian Bloom and Alfonso and Haim and me and Feldman and you know, uh, oh God, you know, I just I, I I'm drawing blanks on the rest, but I mean, there were so many kids that were there. Jeremy Licked from from Twilight Zone and oh. Oh, so many kids that were there. I mean, Faustino and 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 right. uh, Christina from Married with Children. Wow. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't the oh my god, it's so and so. No, it was like the Mutual Admiration Society. We all loved each other's work. You know, Danny Cooksey. Uh, I'm just trying to think of like other. Uh, oh, Andre Gower yeah. from and, and Ryan Lambert from Monster Squad. Yeah, it was it was the gang. Yeah, that's Scott awesome. Grimes. Scott Grimes. Like I forgot Scott Grimes. You know, now he's on uh, the the uh orion the orville the orville thank you yes the orville yeah and him and i are still friends we still talk it's like okay i hate to admit it but one one of my first film first introductions to scott grimes was mystery alaska Mm, uh, and also tremors also i think he's in tremors or tremors two or three one of them and i think he's in Okay, he's got to be after either three or above somewhere. I know he's not in the first two. Or I don't remember him in the first two. Derek's looking it up. <laughs> Tremors. Tremors 2? Okay. I don't remember him. Critters, Critters 2, Robin Hood, Mystery Alaska. Yep. Uh, Night of the Hurricane. Maybe that wasn't there. I was thinking of the other one. But I was thinking of parts one and two. Yeah. Frogs. Yeah, Critters was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Great guy, uh, multi-talented, you know, does everything. See, and, and I love the movie Crimson Tide, and I never realized he was in Crimson Tide as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, he, he he's done, he's been in stuff I, I've oh, seen. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't. American Daddy's a voice on American Dad for years. Yeah. You know? I, I love, yep. yeah, and I love Critters, Critters too. Uh, it's just one of those, ne- it never clicked. He never clicked as someone memorable until Mystery Alaska when, when he started with the facial hair and kept the facial hair. Mm. Then he goes from that to ER and then like, just down yeah, nice from gig, there. Right? Yeah. TV's the greatest gig in the world, man. Oh, God. What I now would have done to just get a series and be five, six, seven, eight years on a series, ten, you're done. You're finished. You don't got to work again the rest of your life. You know? But I'm, I'm happy for anybody that gets to do it. I, I'm one of those. I'm not a jealous person. I don't, you know, I'm, you know, envious because of this or that. We're all supposed to get the jobs we're supposed to get. That's yep. just the way it is. You know, for every, you know, it, and, you know, you don't really put a value on something. But if you're going to say to me, you know, you got choices between this, this and this, you know what? I'm happy with the stuff I did. I mean, I got to work with Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason and Richard Donner and Liza Minnelli and 
you know, the Charlie Hallahan from The Thing, the guy whose head comes off the table, grows the legs, and runs yeah, away. Yeah. He's, oh, he, yeah. He's my dad and kid co. Huh? Uh, you know, Christmas Story, working with Bob Clark and, and Peter. You know, I worked with, with I mean, one little scene with uh, with Melinda, you know. But, I mean, I'm, I've made lifelong friendships that you can't put a dollar amount on. And I've done projects that you can't put a dollar amount on, and the experiences I had were phenomenal. So if somebody else got a movie that made all the money and all the fame, you know what? That's what they're supposed to do. I'm I'm happy with the stuff that I did, the work that I did, and the friendships I've made along the way. I'll agree with that, on, even on my end. I mean, I have made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned from them. And uh, I, if I was to go back and change anything, I don't think I would. Or maybe one, or, maybe one or two things, but no. Thing I might, if you're going to ask me if what I would change, I probably would have come out to L.A. Uh, right after Christmas Story for pilot season that year because I was just on fire with you know having done the third movie in one year and all that. Coming out for pilot season, it might have given me an opportunity to have you know a series, uh, but that wasn't what was meant to be. You know, my my dad had his own business, my mom had worked for AT&D and, and beneficial the insurance company. And uh, there was just nobody that could take me to LA for two months, you know? So right. that's, it wasn't meant to be, you know? So instead I end up going through high school, hitting puberty, my face kind of changed, whatever. And then I start hanging out with WWF, <laughs> you know? So that was meant to be. And then I come to LA and I'm, you know, doing all the stuff out here and then I'm meeting more baseball players and this kind of thing. And I'm going to spring training year after year and hanging out and, doing the things that I did and again, just made some incredible friendships and, and stuff that, you know, you can't put a dollar figure to, Yeah. You know, life is, life is a short experience. We say, Oh, it's this many years, but in reality, it's like that. Yesterday yeah. I was 21. What the hell just happened? You know, now, you know, 52. Um, so if you can just enjoy life and you can, you can do some, some good things and have some enjoyment that unto itself is a blessing. You know, it really is yeah. just something to cherish. You know, I may not be rich and I may not be overly famous. Yes, people know my face and all that kind of stuff, but it's not the same. I'm not, you know, Brad Pitt. I can walk out of my house. I can go shopping. I can go to the movies. I can do the things that I want to do that people do. You could go, so to, the my, Indi- you could go to the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular. Absolutely. There's no question. <laughs> you aren't kidding, man. Um, you know, and yet at the same time, you know, I, I show up at places and people are – you know, thrilled to meet me. They're enamored. I'm the guy from Christmas Story. I'm the guy from the toy and all that. And I'm like, yeah. So, I mean, I'm that person, but I'm also just Scotty, the kid from Jersey who wants to enjoy life, you know. Wasn't always that way, but I kind of figured it out as I went. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us this week. It's been an absolute great, yeah. blast. Loved every yeah. minute of it. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, no. you, you are welcome back anytime. Sounds good. You know, hopefully before the end of the year, I've got a book coming out. So yeah. you guys, oh, cool. you know, you guys can get a copy and then send me a thing. Hey, dude, you got to come on the show. Okay. You know, oh, come back on the show and plug the book. It's, it's That's the fun. good, the great, yeah, be awesome. good, the great, the bad, the ugly. Okay. You know, I don't, I don't sugarcoat anything. And, uh, let's put it this way. I put names in my book. I said things that happened and of about 300 pages, there was one thing that the book company kind of had a problem with that they wanted <laughs> no. me to yank, you know, <laughs> and, and I went, okay, it's not going to change the, the content of the book one way or the other one, one story. Uh, okay, fine. 
So, you know, there's awesome. been other people. Oh, I had to change names and I had to change this and I had to do that. I didn't have any of that stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. That's- and all, and it's tons of stories. I mean, it's, you know, and it's everything. Uh, can't wait. You say it comes out near the end of the year. It'll be coming out hopefully September, October, the okay. latest. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. cool. Well, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it was a real blast. Uh, can't this wait. Fun, absolutely. Can't wait to have you back on um, <laughs> later this fall after the book comes out. So for sure, we will make it happen. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. Had fun. Should be a, uh, shoot me a text or I'll shoot you a text and we'll keep you got in touch. It. And on that note, there's only one thing left to ask. Want to know more? So, um, the bad crowd you've been hanging out with is a science fiction club? This has been a Weeby Geeks production.